You're listening to the Skylight Books Podcast. We're an independent, general interest bookstore putting great reads in the hands of people in the Los Feliz neighborhood of Los Angeles. Hosted by resident Skylighters, we're here to bring you new and exciting author conversations, group reads, and bookseller chats. Happy listening. Hello, my beautiful listeners, and welcome to Skylight. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, I'm so, so excited to have a special author on our About the Author episode for you. Marlon James is the author of the New York Times bestselling National Book Award finalist, Black Leopard, Red Wolf, the Booker Prize winning A Brief History of Seven Killings, and the Book of Nightwoman and John Crow's Devil. In addition to the Booker Prize, his novels have won the American Book Award, the Los Angeles Times Ray Bradbury Prize for Science Fiction, the Ansfield Wolf Book Award, and the Dayton Literary Peace Prize. Born in Jamaica, James lives in New York City. His new book in the Dark Star Trilogy, Moon Witch Spider King, is currently out now. Marlon, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This is great. This is, I'm so excited. Uh, this is going to be a great episode. Um, this is, uh, for our listeners who have not, um, who are joining for the first time, we have uh, episode once a month where we talk to the author about their specific writing styles, um, their influences and so on. And so you get a special treat today with an amazing author. Um, but before we start that, Marlon, because your new, your new book in the Dark Star Trilogy is, um, when this episode comes out, it's out now. And I know we're all excited about it. So, and you have a special reading for us today, right? Sure. Um, I'm reading actually a scene that's actually near the end of, of the book. And um, the, the, the main character, the moon witch, the, the person who's a moon witch, Sagan, has gone through, you know, experience. It's a pretty bad tragedy that sort of left her injured and healing. And um, up to this point, you know, she she has done certain things, all these exploits that gain her the name Moon Witch, but even she doesn't know what that means and what that means to, to anybody else. It's somebody who has been doing these, these you know, fighting for, for justice in her own way um, and not knowing the impact. And, and she's now on a bed recovering from some serious injuries. And she wakes up one, I think it's just evening, or morning, one of them. And um, she wakes up and there are all these women in her mm. room. And Sogland doesn't know why they're there until mm. they start talking. So this is a scene. She wakes up and um, this is a woman, um, the woman in her room. Okay. Um, let me find it. So two, set it up again. So two women were putting on new bandages and healing her and then other women show up. So it says, more women come into the room as it get lighter and still more women. Or perhaps I was seeing them all for the first time. You don't remember me, one of them say. She wear a band around the eyes that her husband take away from her. After you write the wrong done to me, the woman teach me, the woman teach me how to see with my fingers, my ears and my nose. She says she paint clay on my skin with grace. After my father killed my mother, he teched to me, said another. The night you come, he was heading to my sister's bed. You don't know me, for then I was no woman, said yet another. I call each of these women my sisters since then. You remember us? The girls kidnapped in that caravan headed to Marabanga. They were taking us out to sea to sell us off as wife and concubines. We was seven and eight years old. Each night, they take away one of us to test the goods, and that girl would never return. That night you swooped down on my roof was the night I know the gods didn't forget us. Every woman in this room touched by the moon which stepped forward, the Nim-Nim woman said, and every woman in the room look at me and approach the bed and surround it. They take their time and let the quiet shuffle do the talking. Some look like faces I supposed to remember. Some look like faces I used to know. Many of them old, some of them older than the child there was when they see the moon witch. 
Woman with the gele of the east on her head. Woman with the igia of the south on her. Woman in white like nuns. Woman in rainbow like queens. Mother and daughter and sister and woman with no one. Woman with one eye, one ear, one leg, no legs. Woman, other women holding up. Woman from the top of Mantha and from the bottom of Marabanga. Ghosts of women who come back from the other world to see the moon witch. And a crabby one who say, boy, she did love that silver. Some with mouths packed to the brim with words waiting to explode. Some nodding quietly, their eyes saying, we see you, sister. Woman who steal a touch of my shoulder, forehead. Woman who grab my hand until another put pull my hand into theirs. They packed the room right up to the doorway and still more was outside, waiting to squeeze themselves in. A girl wormed through them to touch me and say, they couldn't move my mother, so she sent me. Moonwitch still flying through the trees, say another. Now plenty woman out there writing wrongs. Plenty north and south saying, Moonwitch, she is me. Um. I mean, so much to, I mean, unpack there, especially for, you know, readers who might, readers who are reading it right now currently and readers who um, are about to pick it up and, you know, know from the first book, these characters and are excited to see, you know, the second book's iteration of it. Um, what a great reading. Thank you so much for that. Um, and to start, I, I want to ask about your, you know, your background in, writing just like your where did this um where did this start for you where did your you know your journey as a writer start um I mean there is start start and there's start I mean I was <laughs> writing, I've been writing since I was a kid I've been writing um you know since ever since I could remember um certainly from around six seven I'd make up stories and read mm -hmm. to my parents one of the things I used to do a lot is rewrite the endings of shows Yes. If I didn't like them, I'd rewrite them. So I was like, <laughs> who knew who knew I was writing fan fiction? <laughs> but that's exactly what I was doing. I was writing mm -hmm. some serious, particularly of 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 this of the TV version of The Incredible Hulk. Oh, okay. Which was the saddest show on TV. It was so sad. I mean, it was so sad. I was I, I put up on Facebook a few weeks ago. Um so this is how you will know all the all the young kids, the the 70s kids. <laughs> because they're the ones who are going to burst out crying when I play mm -hmm. this. Yeah, so that was my first, that's the earliest thing I remember writing, like this sort of incredible Hulk fan fiction. So um, as always, it was always um, superheroes, fantasy creatures, supernatural things that made me want to write. Mm -hmm. um, even though that's not what I wrote in the, in, you know, in the past. Um, you know, I, you know, did the usual things people do, like take writing courses and so on. But when... I started writing, like writing seriously. I, I really was writing just for myself. Mm -hmm. um, it would be in my late 20s, early 30s. And I was writing for, you know, I was writing in advertising and so on. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, writing by committee and writing for other people. And I started to really want an aspect of my writing that was just for me. Mm -hmm. And that's how I started writing. I didn't start writing necessarily looking for a career or so mm -hmm. on. I was writing for me. In fact, I didn't realize I was a writer until um, somebody asked me a question. This was after I published my second book. Mm -hmm. And they asked me, well, if you weren't writing, if you weren't a writer, what would you be doing? And I've done nearly everything. Mm -hmm. um, but I couldn't answer the question. I was like, I, I just couldn't answer it. I couldn't think of it. And I'm like, surely there's something. I've done everything, surely. <laughs> and I couldn't answer it. And mm -hmm. I went, crap, I guess I'm a writer then. Yeah. But I didn't really start calling myself a writer until after I published my second book. Really? Yeah. Um, just sort of not believing it or because I was still doing a bunch of other things. I'm still right. doing a bunch of other things. But the sort of awareness was mm -hmm. didn't happen until then. Um, but I think I, in the, the, the preparing myself for it, I've been doing ever since I could remember, I've been always been writing stories. Do you think that, um, if you had to ask yourself that same question now, do you think you still have that same answer? You, if you, you know, 
Can you write everything? Yeah, yeah I'm, I, 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 I suck out pretty much anything else now. <laughs> no, I, I mean, anymore. I used to be, a, I used to be an illustrator. I mean, I used to, I, I drew my maps, but that was hard. Mm-hmm. That was hard. <laughs> I mean, that's it, but they're great. I mean, they look great. So I, you make it look effortless. <laughs> um, no, that. I mean, that awareness must have been like, you know, kind of, was it freeing to have that? Or did you feel like, you know, at the time to know that like, for you, the only path forward was as a writer? Was it like, was it, you know, not restraining, but like, you know, kind of made you nervous in that aspect? It did make me nervous because it's one thing to say you're a writer. It's another thing to imagine, well, what's the life of a writer? Mm -hmm. Um, Hell, how am I going to eat? (laughs) <laughs> yeah. um, you know what what um i think you know i was in advertising i was an advertising copywriter um mm-hmm. and i at some time i re- i realized that you have to decide are you a copywriter or a writer doing copy mm-hmm. and as a graphic artist and you had to decide i had to decide am i a graphic artist or an artist doing graphics but right. those are two different things and if you're not if you're a copywriter that's absolutely fine it's one of the most creative jobs in the world if you're a writer doing copy then you're probably here to do something else Mm -hmm. and um and and there's something to be said for being an artist who your all your creation is creation by committee or creation by compromise i think that affects Mm -hmm. your talent after a while it's something i really do believe um so i had to you know one come to that realization about myself that you know as a writer not as, as a writer doing copy not a copywriter mm-hmm. and that um you know if 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 i if i'm going to be this writer this artist if you want to call it that then and you know making a living is a reality yeah. then i have to start to think of the type of life and the type of career that supports the writing instead of undercut it mm-hmm. Which made me, which made meant for me that I had to go back to school. Which yeah. I, mean, I swear I'd never set foot, foot, set foot back <laughs> in an academic institution, and there I was. And um, yeah, I went back to school to get this MFA degree. Mm-hmm. One because I wanted to experience that type of learning and that type of scholarship, but mm-hmm. also, you know, need a degree because you gotta eat. Yeah, nobody hiring you without a degree. Yeah, no, um, I mean, I I did the same, uh, <laughs> the same thing for the same reason, mm. I was, and I said the same thing. I'm never go back into an academic institution. And mm. where did I find myself? Right? Yeah, no, I'm a tenure. No, I'm no, I'm tenure. That's so. That's, <laughs> so I, can, I mean, academia. I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, but I knew even then, and even being in academia um, and teaching what I'm teaching, and I'm teaching creative writing, I teach creative writing to undergrads, that it still did what I hoped it would do, which is mm-hmm. support and even you know influence and sometimes even inspire my writing, mm-hmm. which my previous career just just didn't do. Mm-hmm. And I mean. Did you think, though, with your previous career, it, like, you know, forced you to have to write more, like, in the sense of, like, you were, like, oh, I, I'm writing to, like, I'm writing for the future, I'm writing to, like, you know, it's, because I feel like I hear a lot of writers say, oh, when I wasn't just doing writing, it made me, like, a, a young, as a younger person, a more desperate writer, you, like, the, the work came, mm. I had to force the work out of me. Um, I don't know if it ever got that bad for me. Um, mm-hmm. I think it got the, where it got bad for me is that I wasn't inspired anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because again, when you're when I was in advertising, when it, when I'm writing in that doing that type of, and when you as a writer were, you know, um, starting, you know. You were moving more into the career. You were in your MFA program. Did you feel, did you grow from that as a writer? Did you think that the program, you know, pushed you further in your, in your own personal sense of what I am as a writer? Absolutely, it did push me further, very much so. I, you know, I um, I mean, 
my second novel came out of that program and the mm -hmm. book of night woman came as a result of a program and i wrote it it's the probably still the quickest novel i've ever written for me it was a brand new world i've never experienced that i you know mm -hmm. i was um the closest i came to creative writing and i did creative writing was an undergrad course it was one semester mm -hmm. um that was it and most of the writing i was doing was sort of fumbling in the dark um, my creative writing teacher were, you know, was all the books I was reading. And I still think that's mm -hmm. the best creative writing teacher out there, just reading a lot. Yeah. But that was the first time I experienced community. That was the first time I experienced people who were doing what I was doing. Some of them with the same pressures I had, which is how are you going to eat? How are you going to become a writer? Yeah. Is there any money in it? What kind of future yeah. is there for this mm -hmm. type of creative thing? Are you mad? Um, <laughs> You know, it, it's, it's, I remember, um, you know, there's, you know, you, the, the teachers, some of the teachers that feel the first class, they must tell you, most of you here will not make a cent from writing and you will fail and blah, 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 which I didn't appreciate at all. But mm -hmm. writing with peers, I don't think you have to do it forever, but I think there's a moment in a writer's life when community is super important, um, yeah. where rigor is important where writing just for the sake of writing is important we're getting feedback from you know equally and sometimes more talented people um is great and i think it sharpens your instincts from when you go off and you're not writing by committee and you're not writing by you know having all sorts of people review and critique your work um you know, at MFA program, I also learned to trust my voice and to write using voice. And I still write using voice for most of the stuff that I write. Um, and I met a lot of really interesting people. I met a lot of great writers, some of whom became friends, um, writers who um, remain inspiring to me and whose lessons I still take. And I think, mm -hmm. I don't think out of, and you know, I don't think I'd have encountered a lot of that on my own. Um, mm -hmm. Or maybe, you know, in twice as long or three times um as long and and I, that's not to say i'm like sort of this mfa mess you know this mfa <laughs> sort of evangelist i have very big problems in mfa programs yeah i mean uh, very big issues at mfa programs mm -hmm. uh what you know one and being that you know i am not trying to be a white male novelist yes oh so, thank you for saying that yeah so using using that as a standard by which to sort of judge how i write about sex mm. how i write about race how i write about anger or how i write about um atrocity how frank i am how you know how explicit i am how subtle i am all based mm -hmm. on standards for the type of writer i have no interest in being mm -hmm. and i think mfa programs have come a long way yeah, but yeah. There's still, it's still not, it's still not nowhere, not even half as long enough. I mean, it's, I mean, and I, from personal experience, um, I don't think it's come, a, come, as, long, <laughs> come as long as it needs to. It, um, there's still some work because it, it is, I mean, a lot of programs, even I feel like there's been this diversity, you know, initiative in a lot of programs to kind of have voices from different cultures. But like, they're, they're trying to fix the problem from the outside versus looking within, right? Mm -hmm. And like trying to like say, oh, maybe it's the how the institution is built. We need to like investigate that. Like who, the, from the lesson plans to, you know, the, the goals that they have for mm -hmm. you. I mean, listen, I'm not, I, I, <laughs> I'm going in on my own personal. Yeah. Um, I yeah, mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, there, there, I mean, I, and, and sometimes I think writing establishments take it as an attack or, or just political correctness run amok. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I was like, no, it's, it's, there are other ways of telling, you know, of telling a story. You read Japanese fiction that plot arc you're teaching on day two, day two just doesn't fit. Mm -hmm. you know, if you're reading a lot of, if you're reading, you're reading the Makioka sisters, that little arc you, that you drew, that triangle that you drew on the, on, on the wall don't make sense for, mm -hmm. you know, for a book like that. Um, yeah. 
it's it's yeah i i i teach undergrad so i have no way of really guessing if things have come forward or not uh it's it's kind of depressing you know but it make it, it, it you know there is um what is it is it matthew matthew Soles? what's his name i can't remember his name he wrote a really good book about mfa programs a year ago oh. two years ago Ooh, and, i'm gonna um, research that because that sounds good that, that sounds like something to read i remember reading it and going dude what have you done yeah, <laughs> they're gonna come screaming. How oh, dare you attack your most creative writing way of teach, teaching creative writing? And exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> I I love I like hill I love hills like white elephants as much as anybody. Yeah, but that's I not mean, all there is. For a story. There's so much more. There's so much, and it's it's a. Uh, you would think that like you know they want new stories the stories of their new stories to be told and I mean like for example I mean I've never seen a story as uh rich and like inventive as like Black Leopard Red Wolf and why is that I was actually discussing with um I was discussing with the bookseller at Skylight mm -hmm. um how you know we're taught Greek mythology and they were taught, were taught Greek mythology in schools um, in the U.S. Like it's very, very important to teach uh, when we talk about literature to go into that because mm -hmm. you know there's so much um, there's so much storytelling that went along with Greek mythology, right? Yeah. And but that so, feels so westernized, where like you know a book like Black Leopard Red Wolf says, "Hey, there is." different mythology out here there's a whole continent in africa and which which has so many different uh so many different like nuanced and mm -hmm. untold mythology that you know westernized culture is not getting we're not we're not getting it to the point where you know black leopard red wolf feels revolutionary in a way in terms of like us learning about mythology um and why is that? Why is when there are there have been stories like this told, but we not we're not getting it from um, our education system in a lot mm -hmm. of ways. And you know, there's and that I mean that says something about you know what we're being taught, what we're being, uh, what's being fed to us, what's being because I can I can look and see, um, I can find like eighty billion of the I mean Christian mythology mythology stories. Mm -hmm. uh, greek um pagan like those kind uh, of norse yeah. and, norse and, yes and, and um what we get sometimes is folklore and folklore is crucial yeah. um folklore mm -hmm. is absolutely crucial but folklore separated from mythology you end up with you know you end up with um nobody knowing that Burr rabbit is african when you, yeah. when, you, when, you when you when you when you get folklore but not mythology and also sure. i think you know people Take for granted, um, you know the, the 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 importance of mythology and importance of a people's mythology and just how much mythology is important. A mythology, you know, until it's until it was called mythology, mythology was religion, mm -hmm. um, and until you know it was called religion, mythology was life. Um, yeah. No self-respecting Viking thought Thor was something he made up. Right. And and that when I die, Valhalla was just some wish. Valhalla was no wish. Valhalla was a fact. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you know, I think people today, European descended, white white people, white people descended from Europe, you know, take their mythologies for granted, not realizing just how much of who they are as a people. It stemmed okay. from it. Um, somebody asked Margaret Atwood once, you know, how you know human, how you know human nature hasn't changed. She says human nature hasn't changed in a thousand years. And you know this by checking the myths. Yeah. So what happens when you are a black boy in Jamaica and you don't know your myths? Yeah. And there's an aspect of your human nature that you don't know as well. Mm -hmm. And when I started writing these novels, I didn't start the research. You know, I didn't come up with novels and then started the research. I did a research and came up with novels. Because I went looking for mythology. I went looking for this sort of um, intuitive history of a people, which is what mythology is. Um, it's a history before you know, Judeo-Christian standards, not even academic standards, Judeo-Christian standards come in mm -hmm. and say, that's not truth. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's what that's what I went looking for. Um, and you know, in reading about all these things, I started to think, man, this book is writing itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's um, those those um, things that underpin or um, these stories that we know. I mean, for granted, for granted, ultimately, don't they, they speak to us? And they don't speak for us. Yeah. Um, and I said this as somebody who loves, who knows, loves and knows everything about Greek mythology. I know everything about Roman mythology. Yeah. I know everything about it. yeah, all of it. And I, right. love, and, and, and I quite love all of it. And I love the literature that has sprung from it. Yes. But it's not the only one. No. And I mean, that's which, and I, and I don't, I hope I didn't come off as like saying, yeah, F Greek mythology. No, I, mm-hmm. I love Greek mythology. I, mm-hmm. I loved it since I was a kid. I just wish that I could have also had that love, shared that love with so many other myths. And like you yeah. were kind of talking about it in, I mean, one of the things as a person, as a person from a Jamaican family, a very Christian Jamaican family, one mm-hmm. thing that I've been too afraid to ask them is um, if they ever think about, yeah, you know, like what 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 we believed before Christianity came into mm-hmm. um, the the African and uh, indigenous Jamaicans' lives, like what was there? What is mm-hmm. and like I mean, your book like makes me even want to your the the Dark Star trilogy makes me want to like investigate that more. I mean, I would never ask them because God, I'm ooh terrified. <laughs> to ask them. Oof, 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 oof. I, you know I, I find that language is an easier entryway because mm-hmm. growing up Jamaican I was always thought Pato was broken English yeah you know it was backward English it's a dialect mm-hmm. um you know it's it's a version it's a strange version of whatever it's a, whatever we want to call it it's some sort of a, an inferior glaze of English Mm-hmm. And we look at things like Patua grammar and see that's a sign mm-hmm. of our backgrounds. Because we, you know, we don't say there's no such thing as the books. It's the book right. them. Yeah. You know, we don't have went in Jamaica. It's like him did go, him soon go, him can go, him won't go. It stays us go. Now, yeah. there are a lot of African languages that one of the principal rules of the grammar is that verb is always present tense. Mm-hmm. You can conjugate all around the word, the sentence, but the verb remains active. The verb remains immediate. Right. You know, um, mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the reason why our verbs are remain present tense, no matter what tense we're using, is just a part of our mother continent that the slave ship didn't drive out and that slavery didn't destroy. It's just mm-hmm. one of the ways in which how we originally spoke remains with us. But I didn't know that before, before researching right. this book. I thought I was just speaking broken English and it's mm-hmm. like quaint, but backward pato. And I learned how to speak proper, like a good English student. Yeah. And uh, and even when I was writing pato, the early days of writing pato, I still sort of looked down on it. Yeah. And not realizing, no, it's, it's a different grammar system. And you know, and you realize this when people try to imitate pato. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they, they imitate it with a sense of cultural superiority and they don't realize yeah. you're dealing with a language and you're dealing with rules you think you're dealing mm-hmm. with an aberration of language and all you have to do is pick up some cool terms so everybody goes no problem man Megan has ever said that but it is plural the plural is the book the singular is the book the plural is the book them and pigeon Nigerian pigeon does that as well yeah yeah yeah, and I mean, yeah, it's what we do with language, and it's 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 an example of the vitality of our tongues as opposed to the brokenness of it. Yeah, I mean that's wow. I I just learned something new too myself. Wow, that's <laughs> and I mean it's. I feel like there's you know the level of shame in like even Jamaican culture in terms of like I mean it's from colonialism on how like you know the languages. My parents. I remember my parents as a kid used to. Uh, Get get Jamaican English textbooks shipped in <laughs> for us to study mm-hmm. too, because they were like, "No, you're going to, you're going to have to change, you know, uh, the way you process grammar to true English Britain like, you know, sense instead of like you know understanding why 
the where the dialect comes from and why mm-hmm. the importance of it too. And I mean, God, do I love the Jamaican dialect? Patois, you know, it's music to me. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. But um, no, it's it's a. I now I'm gonna have to research this. I, <laughs> I this is this is. I'm gonna call my parents too and be like, yeah, did you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, where so I want to know though your influences for your writing because your writing seems so distinct you have a very you have a signature in your writing that I feel like I haven't seen before mm-hmm. but I I where did where where did your voice you know where did you I mean I'm guessing it's original it's your own voice but did you have mm-hmm. any influences that you know feel shaped to you too oh yeah that you write? I mean, Absolutely, Tony Morrison, Tony Morrison, and Tony Morrison. Yeah. Oh, yes. You know, I I just wrote the intro an intro for a new edition of Song of Solomon, and I'm still slapping myself to going, how did that happen? <laughs> oh my God, I love like, well, that. Up. <laughs> I I, I you know um I you know I mentioned that the the, the you know the day Tony Morrison passed, I was taking mm-hmm. this pill, and the other side of the pill was Mark One Two Four. And I was and I was joking. I'm about to take my spite and baby venom. <laughs> and then I heard she passed that day, and I'm like, you know what? She was telling me something. She was there. She was telling me something. So what? I mean, God, what? You know, the things I got. Several things like Tony Morrison influenced me in several ways. One way was not to do with language, but to do with plotting and story. That. Mm-hmm what your characters go through is not the problem. They can, you, you want you want your character to go through a million hardships, devastation, violation, whatever. That is not the problem. The problem is, do they have sense of agency? Do we believe mm-hmm. these characters have a sense of choice and a sense of free will? Um, is some of this circumstance, some of this part of their, their um, the consequences of their actions, do we feel they have the capability of change? And are they smart? The thing I like about Tony Morrison's characters is that they're usually smart. And I like that. I like how yeah. witty they are. And I mean, and she, oh, sorry. Go, I, no, go on, go on. I was just like, she doesn't, um, you know, she doesn't try to shape the characters for the mm-hmm. audience either. Something I love about her. Mm-hmm. She she seems to, you know, she, she doesn't put them down. She doesn't say, this is an archetype of a character. They feel, she's like, these are full-formed characters. Mm. And they they are a lot of times guilty of stuff you do not like. Mm-hmm. And and that to me is is a sort of mind-blowing coming from, from a very, very colonial way of looking at literature and a very mm-hmm. colonial way of looking at characters and 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 so on. And even and, and especially voice, because it's funny because Mar- Morrison never wrote in first person, but she inspires me to write in first person. Um mm-hmm because of just the rule that uh, voice played and what Morrison was drawing from Morrison. You know, I can understand why, why, why Morrison sometimes got annoyed when she was compared to people like James Joyce. Yes, right. and, and especially Faulkner, everybody. It's usually white critics. You know, <laughs> the traces of Faulkner, it's like, and she's like, girl, it ain't no Faulkner. <laughs> nah, no, it's, it's blues and jazz and gossip. Yeah. And the way people mm-hmm. signify it and call and response in church mm-hmm. and, and all of that stuff. And and, yeah. and um and 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 she made me, you know, sort of look for the music in yeah. language. Because yeah. I think, and I can only speak as a as a you know as a Jamaican student and a Jamaican that there was this idea that the more you erased the lyricism and the bounce and the patois and the rhythm from the way we speak is the more proper you sounded. Yeah. And it's a more advanced kind of literature you're writing. And all of that is mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but it took reading Toni Morrison and you know, reading not just her work, but her nonfiction and playing in the dark that um, you know, that allowed me to do that, do that sort of thing. It's not not just Toni Morrison, but it probably were all the people of color. Um, Jessica mm-hmm. Hagedon's Dog Eaters was a profound influence on me. Um, because here's a book that was brilliant, but it was also cool. It was a wash in pop culture references, 
and mm -hmm. the novel switch voices all the time and the novel has a character that repudiates everything that comes previously in the novel and it just was this it, it's it's yeah and when i read dog eaters i remember thinking this is the best novel about jamaica i've ever read and it's a book set mm -hmm. in the philippines and you know it's and it, it just nailed everything about jamaica the 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 busyness, the wild streets, the the music, the rhythm, the beauty, the corruption, how mm -hmm. all is mixed in. And, and I realized there's a certain type of place in this world. And if you're a Jamaican and you land there, you know it. And I said, it's a type of place that's always caught between a political election and a beauty contest. Okay. Ooh. And <laughs> one or two of those are always going on. And and, mm. and and that was a book that made me realize that what I thought was a very, very narrow point of view, a Jamaican story about Jamaica, is actually yeah. a universal story because a Philippines novel is a Jamaican novel, a Mexican novel is a Jamaican novel, mm -hmm. a New Orleans novel is a Jamaican novel, and yeah. vice versa. I remember reading um, Roxane Gay's IED. Mm -hmm. And reading it, being like, "This is this is wow! This is I know this story from Jamaica. I know like the entire time I was like, this is how this is so Jamaican.' And it's a it was a Haitian story, which is you know mm. still island. There's a lot of island references there, but I was like, this is. I mean, she didn't write a story going saying this is a story that I um, am making for Jamaicans, but I read it saying this is I I see my family in this. I see my mm. culture in this. I see." um all this stuff no i i mean and there's so many other stories i've read like that too yeah where, it's it, yeah. it makes it makes you really challenge this idea that we still have way too more often that the universal story must be a eurocentric story mm -hmm. um i mean we could argue that there should no be there's no such thing as a universal story and that's there is certainly that point but the idea that you know, you're writing a story set in some rural Jamaican village can't mm. be universal. Um, I tell you what's universal, poverty. That's what's universal. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, so that whole idea is like, oh, no. Do you feel like um, you, you look for that universal, you look for that in your own work? Like you look for that something that, you know, everyone can take from it and even like culturally um they can i mean i i was just like i see that in your work i see that i talk to people all the time about um recently at skylight we had um brief history of seven killings as our reading club book mm -hmm. and you know everyone reading it was like wow i didn't realize the the like cross-cultural references of everything that happened in Jamaica to the U.S. to mm -hmm. like the the intrigue the um conspiracy of it too they're like so many made so many people made references to like conspiracy movies like uh the mm -hmm. the Jason Bourne or the yeah. what I forgot that but like the, the there was you know that so yeah mm -hmm. I mean do you is that something that you you know well, maybe I mean, not even before. I think on one and one, um, well, there are a couple, a few ways to answer that. That I am drenched in pop culture influences. I grew up in the seventies. That was the first sort of decade where most of the world participated in the same pop culture. Yeah. Um, if you were four, five, six, you were. We were all watching Sesame Street. <laughs> oh um, God, yeah. We're all wearing bell bottoms. Everybody was watching Star Scan Hutch. Everybody in the world wanted to know who shot JR. Mm -hmm. um, we're listening to the same Donna Summer records, the same Diana Ross records. Um, you know, it's, it's media really exploded in the 70s and pop culture became, you know, it became this universal currency. So even me writing a novel set in Jamaica in the 70s is still going to be awash with a lot of that, 70s and 80s. Right. Um, but also Jamaica was one of the was one of the sort of touch points in universal pop culture mm -hmm. in the 70s and helped shape a lot of it. 
um, so I knew that that novel would, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't, didn't set out for it to be that, but right. um, I knew if I was going to write about Marley and I was going to write about his impact and even through the eyes of the people who were actually trying to kill him, that um, I'd touch on all sorts of things that impact, that impact Jamaica and the world. Um, I didn't set up when I was writing that novel to write a book about the Cold War. But the Cold War mm -hmm. did happen. And that's another way in which Jamaica was at the, you know, the center of a lot of things. I think a person mentioned that Carlos the Jackal was around, which is something I heard that Carlos mm -hmm. the Jackal was in Jamaica at one point. Um, I know the woman who said she dated him and she didn't know yeah. he was a terrorist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, I grew up with my grandfather who, um was a tour bus driver telling me about like the people who come through the 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 stars the crazy stories he didn't know like yeah it was i mean there's so much culture that i mean past yeah jamaica i feel like was a big cultural center in around that time it still is i mean so many things that you wouldn't think of you know peep stars yeah. came television stars would come to Jamaica. Um, royalty, like the royals would lo love Jamaica. Mm -hmm. um, they, the the way, I don't, I mean, do you remember when Prince Harry used to go to Jamaica to party? And I, the, my family every time would just talk about the royals and their stories with them and loved, loved, loved Diana too. Um, yeah. I mean, and I, 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 yeah, but I also think, you know, my, the characters, certainly in that novel, also right. critiques that a lot. And mm -hmm. that is sort of playground for the rich where, where the locals are sort of disposable. When, when Nina yeah. Burgess, you know, goes to work, when Nina Burgess goes to work in like a tourist area and just realizing just how, you know, exploitative and, and, and it's not much better than what, whatever was there. You know, whatever was there before, and you still had people thinking, oh, they know the real Jamaica and all of that stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you know, the characters are also in that novel, I think, smart enough, certainly, to realize mm -hmm. that this this sort of idealized Jamaica is one we don't get to be a part of. Um, yeah. <clears throat> you know? I don't know. Have, have you read um, Nicole Dennis Ben? Mm -hmm. uh, Here Comes the Sun. I feel like when I read that, I was like, yeah, this is a perfect you know, story about how like the Jamaican lives but beyond the tourism and the um, rich people, the rich, mostly white people who come to visit who don't realize that like the people selling them things on this, the people selling them things from the cruise ships or, mm -hmm. you know, serving them at the resorts are people, they're people who have dreams and aspirations. And that's, I mean, Here Comes the Sun is a book that like, you know, I read it and was like, that was, that was my, my heritage, a lot of it. Cause mm -hmm. I can, you know, it in one way or another, if you're Jamaican, I feel like you're some step away from tour, the tourism world, the, mm -hmm. the, the thing, especially, uh, yeah, the tourists, the, it, it's a, it's a country that, you know, I don't know if you uh, think the same, but like, you know, mm -hmm. the tourism is a big part of it it's a huge part of the culture yeah. there and it's it's always it's always going to be a weird dynamic um yeah. because yes it brings money into the country but i'm not sure that money filters down as much as people would want to think yeah um it's it's so it's um it, it's i don't think tourism has done much to to you know la you know certainly not to erase inequality um right I mean, I'm sure it's led to some infrastructure development. I can't say it hasn't done anything, but um, the playground—it's you know the playground of the rich is a playground of the rich, and and I think mm -hmm. um, and you know it, you you make some sort of you you make some you 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 do end up making some accommodations that you know I'm not sure we should like um, one of the things that still happens in Jamaica quite a bit is the plantation wedding. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, people, go, people are like I got married at Rosal Great House, and I'm like, oh god, as I, not a single one of my Jewish friends has the slightest idea inclination to get married at Auschwitz. Nope. 
So mm -hmm. why the hell are you getting married at a plantation? Why are you getting married Rose. at a greenhouse? That makes and no Rose, sense. Oof, Rose Hall of, any, of all places too. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, no. it's like, you know, it's, yeah, nobody I know would want to, wants to get married at Bergen Belson. It's like, why would you mm -hmm. want to get married at, all, you know, at Rose Hall or, or mm -hmm. any of these places? No, it's like, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know it's 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 getting married on like the grave of like all the the graves of all of these people who like you know just oh no just this tragic tragedy <laughs> just this oh yeah. my god this is it's just it's so funny to me because um it just that is that's crazy that's crazy that's why I couldn't even think of what would make someone say, yeah, that makes sense to me. Oh my God. But that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> it's it's you know, it's a it's a conversation about um how what we do with the past and what we what right. do we do what do we do with past and collective memory and so on. And I mean, I think, you know, I, I've never really considered myself a historical novelist, but pretty much everything I've written is set in the past. And I've never been that interested in the present tense. Mm -hmm. Um and I think because I there are things about, you know, the stuff behind me that I'm still trying to make sense of. Brief history was me trying to make sense of, of the 70s and the legacy of it. Um, even mm -hmm. these novels, yes, they're fantasy, but they're set in a past. Yeah. Um, they're mm -hmm. set in a pre-Christian, pre-Islam, pre um, you know, Africa that right. did not exist, but also could have. And it's, it's I you know, I am... Um, I, you know, to me, they, they, yes, they're fantasy novels, but they're also historical novels if you take the reality of the novel to be, re to be real. Like, mm -hmm. if I write, a, a, you know, a contemporary novel that's heavily influenced by Christian faith, nobody's going to call that fantasy. Mm -hmm. Even though it's hugely based on religion, it's still, right. it, it, it's, you know, it has earned a place as a sort of a basic, a day-to-day -day truth. So it's not right. as a fantastical novel. And that's fine. And I'm perfectly fine with Moon Witch being called fantasy because it's, my, you know, one of my two favorite genres, that and crime. Mm. But I also, yeah. in order to write the novel, I had to, the, the, even if I think the world is fantastical, the characters have to move as if it were real. Yes. And I mean that's I feel, I, I feel like you accomplished that in your work too and I mean I that's that's interesting because I mean even with um modern fantasy like I think of when I think of modern fantasy I think of like the marvel world because the mm -hmm. that's modern fantasy and a lot modern fantasy and sci-fi um mm -hmm. but no one looks at those as fantasy though He's, they're the action superhero films and it's like people think no what were you saying sorry no no I was, you finish your point no i was just saying that it's like it, everyone it's it's the, you see it in the real world you, people a lot of people are like yeah this is just heightened real world stuff and i was like no it's high fantasy but because it's a lot of it's so westernized and a lot of it a lot of times people i mean a lot i feel like one of the first times people saw like any sort of african mythology as you know, not fantasy, but like, you know, more real world setting was like Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Like that was a big one where people were like, oh, wow. Imagine a, a African, uh, the African world in a more, you know, high, high technology. I mean, there was still like a sci-fi element of it people saw, but like, you know, they, they were like, oh wait, no, this is the real world that we're seeing on here um, versus like, the i'm trying to think what's a good uh like example of like oh like american gods that show right. the yeah where it was like oh there's these this is mythology this is you mm -hmm. know gods and monsters and all this yeah i mean superheroes um, are superheroes fulfill that god thing too to me yeah. you know i mean superhero comics to me were my original fantasy because when i was yeah. growing up it's not, you know, I didn't grow up in a neighborhood necessarily where anybody would have had Lord of the Rings. Right. Um, or or Narnia or any of those those things. I didn't, in fact, I didn't really hear about Lord of the Rings until I reached hit college. 
So mm-hmm. for me, the make-believe stuff was comics. Okay. And, and, yeah. and, and comics are fantasy. I think, you know, uh, an underwater kingdom with Aquaman. Yes, Aquaman is a superhero, but Atlantis is pure fantasy. Yeah. Um, you know, Batman yeah. is a superhero, but Gotham City is definitely sci-fi. Yeah, oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and yeah. I mean I mean I and this is kind of a side question I had for you. I was gonna yeah. ask anyways, but we got the superhero. Would you would that be something you would ever be interested in writing for? Like? I am so interested in, in, in superheroes. <laughs> um you know, time always gets in the way. Yeah. Um, you know, I you know, I um a huge part of my adolescence it was reading X-Men. Mm-hmm. Um I met Chris Claremont um two no a year ago maybe a little over a little over a year ago mm-hmm. um poor guy must be so so tired of all these so-called literary authors coming to pray at his altar <laughs> and, so, hey, and i was I mean, doing it too and like at one point <laughs> at one point i was like I, my inner voice was saying you're embarrassing yourself because i could re- i could really say it's like an F- it was like an issue 200 when you did such mm. and such, wait, wasn't it like when it was issue 175? And I was like, oh God, I, I have become my own nightmare. I am that guy. I am, you know, he was, you know, he was, he was, he was super sweet. About yeah. all of it. But, you know, the point I was getting at was, um, you know, for, 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 for people like me, for the, you know, freaks and geeks and the, 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 the gays who don't know they're gay yet and so on, mm-hmm. you know, reading X-Men was a lot like being in the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, feeling like an outcast, but still mm-hmm. have to sort of do good, mm-hmm. and and so on, and, and um, it, yeah, for me that world, it was it was, X Men usually pull off the neat trick, tri- neat trick of having you thoroughly admire a world you would never want to live in. No, you're right. It's, <laughs> it's. I mean, did you ever? Were you waiting as a kid for your powers to manifest? Your mutant. Genius. I really thought so I was gonna fly. I, really... I yes, that was the best one. I was waiting for the wings to come on my back, and I'm just yeah. like, well, off to the Charles Xavier School for yeah. Gifted Kids, guys. Have bye. I, I, I... Yeah, for a long time, and for a long time, I'm talking even to adulthood. I secretly thought my power was to disrupt electricity. Oh really? Because I would walk down the street, and well, and a and a and a street lamp that was on would switch mm-hmm. off, and one that's off would switch on. And I'm like, I'm betting I'm doing that. I got so I got electricity powers. I'm doing that. It would always happen. It was so strange. It was. I mean, it was. It, I I thought I could see through things because I did that. You know that trick with your eye where you put mm-hmm. one hand over. I was like, wait, I'm seeing through my. I have. I can see through things. That's my power. I have X-ray vision, and I I till this day, I'm sad mm-hmm. that that didn't come through. Didn't come. Didn't happen. <laughs> I mean. The X-Men, it was it was always, and I mean, like, you must be, um, I'm assuming you're following the new X-Men stories. You must be, like, so. Oh, my God. The I mean, Jonathan Hickman things, I think, is yes. revolutionary. Revolutionary. I mean, it. Um, yeah. For, they, um, yeah. Um, um, forces, what is it again? House of X. House of X, of X. Dawn of X. Yes, Powers of X. Um, oh, yeah. It's, it's. Um, I, I talked to an, an older fan of X-Men who didn't like them um okay. he could appreciate their brilliance but he didn't like them he thought that x-men um should no matter how dark it got x-men always shows some sort of ray of hope somewhere and mm-hmm. um and what he the issue the problem he had with with the new x-men is that it starts from the the point of view but you know what humans aren't going to help us mm-hmm. with, with that that sort of you know human and mutant together for a greater future, it's not going to happen. Humans are just never going to grow. They're never going to change. So we need to start thinking about us. And I yeah. said to him, yeah, it's a, it's a, so what can I tell her? It's a, there's no justice, just us turn for the yeah. X-Men. Mm-hmm. And yeah. people like, you know, I mean, George Floyd was killed six blocks from my house. Wow. Oh. When I tell people, it could have been me. I'm not saying that for dramatic effect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It really could have been me. So when I, so it's not necessarily that I have lost faith in people. I just had to put up some extra faith in myself and my people. And I think, and I, and that really resonated hard with me with the new X-Men. 
I said, yeah. no, X-Men is going through a no justice, just us moment. And it was bound to happen. Mm -hmm. it's, I and mean, that aside, it, he's doing some stylistic things that are just blowing my mind. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it is what you said, revolutionary. It's, yeah. it makes so many, me and like all of my, I have like a group of black nerd, comic book nerds, and we just, mm -hmm. all of us were like, what? That's, yeah. This is everything we wanted. The mutants caring about the mutants saying, "Yes, you know what? We're not gonna. We we're done. We're done trying to get your approval or your there. Mm -hmm. Your your you are you to verify our existence as like allowed. Yeah. Like we're I, done. Yeah, we're done. I mean, the scene where Fantastic Four um, yes. confronts, I think, Cyclops, mm -hmm. and and they're like, "Is this the way? I don't like it." Blah blah blah. And all he can say is, and when your son grows up, tell him to call us. Yeah. Because you, uh, you can't stop in at this and you can't save your son either. And so that was that was one. I love that storyline, the Fantastic Four X-Men crossover. Because yeah, they were like, listen, your son, your son is one of us. Like your son is Franklin is gonna be. Oh my god, no, that was a great. Mm -hmm. And like even, even it's like even now with like them doing them forming their own nation. The, mm -hmm. the way the other superheroes are even villainizing them, you know, mm -hmm. we don't trust them because blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, you, of course you don't trust them because you're, yeah. you're not, you're, you were the, um, you did, even though you didn't maybe fully side with them, you were on the side of the people oppressing the mutants in just yeah, the terms of- they were the cool of, kids. They, 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 they were the they, cool they, kids. It's, I you know it's funny, to this day, I still view Avengers through an X-Men lens. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm like, no, these are good guys. So I'm like, nah, nah, you're the system. You're the system. You're the, you're system. the system. You're the you're you're allowed. People say, oh, those they're allowed when they see a mutant. They're like, mm, they the House of M, the whole House of M storyline too. It's like that was a tragedy that happened, and they don't see, they don't, um, they still see like the Scarlet Witch as one of their own when they're just like, mm -hmm. they the the mutants are like, no, she. To, what she did to us is unforgivable mm -hmm. and oh my god i mean i could talk about excellent for days here <laughs> and uh, on another podcast maybe we will but yeah. um the sadly we're running out of time but the mm -hmm. last thing and it's a special treat to our um listeners um you have some books you would like to recommend our listeners um, yeah some of them i mentioned already like um jessica hagedon's dog eaters which i really mm -hmm. love um Rachel Ingo's Mrs. Caliban is one of my favorite novels. Mm. It's, it's, um, I will set it up and people think they already seen it. Bored housewife falls for a sexy sea creature. Yeah. You may think, yeah, it's, it's not, it's not the shape of water. <laughs> it's, and, and this is a way older, older novel. Um, mm. I really like, um, Eloso Sunday's Vagabonds. Mm hmm it blew my mind. It's it um usually put it this way, usually people seek me out to blur books. I sought that one out. <laughs> wow, that's what I a, was like asking them, can I blur this? <laughs> no, that's what a sell. That's <laughs> never happens. It's it's a fantastic look at Nigeria, at queer Nigeria, at wild Nigeria, at beautiful mm -hmm. Nigeria, its voices, which I I just haven't read. I have not seen these voices, heard these voices before. I haven't. Mm -hmm. um, and the fourth one I had was Disha Filia's Secret Lives of Church Ladies. So, oh, I mean, and a novel. I mean, I you know I pick up this book thinking, okay, you know, it's good. What I did not expect to find was Mada Sister auntie down the road that woman mm -hmm. nobody talks about that woman everybody yeah. talks about this person every single person i know from church i've run mm -hmm. into and i've also been nearly every single one of the people in this book oh, so, yeah. <laughs> um, it's, it's a fantastic collection it's one of those books that like i mean it, it's so funny i rewatched when that book came out i rewatched the movie eve's bayou mm-hmm and I was like, wow, this seems like, uh, did I watch something that like came from this book? I was like, or did this book come, like, are they connected in any way? Because yeah, it's the same feeling of like, 
I know these people. I know that's that's my cousin over there. That's my that's that um you know that's that woman at the church who that's the gossip at the church. That's mm-hmm. the the gossip who everyone you know loves because <laughs> they yeah. love gossip, like things like that. But also the secrets of the church, the things that come out, you know, the things that come out that like no one was expecting or the betrayal. All all of it. It's just. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, you know, those are fantastic books. Books that are for sale at Skylight Books. So our listeners, I mean, Skylight Books, or if you're not listening from L- from Los Angeles, books that I am, I would bet money your you, your local bookstore has. So go check them out. Go check them out. Um, Marlon, this has been so much fun. I had a great time listening uh, just talking to you this has been so much i mean any conversation where i could bring up the x-men is just, <laughs> you know just a fun time um for our listeners do you have any last things you would like to say to the you know independent bookstore community the or just like you know just the booksellers in the book um, yeah well you know i mean god knows i you know my first book was from an indie press and um independent booksellers were and remain crucial for me because independent sellers do things, you know, they, they still hand sell, which is great. And independent booksellers recommend a book. And and they really were, were just so generous to a book. My first time with that, they didn't really have to be generous still. And they championed in some cases. And, you know, they, they, you know they, and they give these books a space, you know, even the, the, some of the books I just mentioned, um, you know, if they, when they took off, some of them took off or, where, or some of the reasons why they remain in print is because independent bookstores care about these books and sort of, you know, sort of love them to sales. And I, and I think yeah. that's, it's fantastic. And um, I, you know, I wouldn't be here and I continue to be here because of, 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 you know, those bookstores and, and mm-hmm. um, you know, when Black Leopard was coming out, the one convention, the convention I went to was sort of the West Coast booksellers <laughs> yeah. uh, association and read to them and spoke about it and, you know, and, and, and talk about it. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's still here. We, we still have here the bookseller as book champion. Mm. And that's super important, especially as we're now entering this year where people now think they can ban and burn books again. Yeah. Um, you know, your local bookseller is not going to turn not just your hero, but your local culture warrior. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. so you know, they get nothing but love f- from me. And I just so appreciate, you know, Skylight's support and everybody else's support. And, you know, let's, let's you know, just keep getting people reading and reading and reading. And I mean, I, I've been, you know, a part of the bookstore world since like 2016. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And every bookstore space I've been to, you're—I feel like your name is mentioned uh, all the time. Uh-huh. You're, it's it's so funny actually. When I um, when Black Leopard Red Wolf came out, I was live I was uh, in London for school for a semester, mm-hmm. and the week the week I got there, the week I got there, I found out you were doing an event at a foils there. And it was the day at, I found it out the day after the event happened. And I go to the bookstore and the books all around, I'm like, damn, I missed it. And all the booksellers could talk about it was like, it was such a good event. It was such a great event. They were like all over the moon. So mm-hmm. I just, you are, you are adored in the bookseller community. Um, you, your books make us, your books are just great to, I mean, so easy to recommend because they're just so great. We just everybody wants to read it everybody wants to read them so thank you for giving us you know such great books and oh, thank all you guys that. for getting the word out and and no. um this is just fantastic no i mean it's it's always i it's always i selfishly will recommend you because i'm like jamaican authors we need to get more jamaican authors out there. <laughs> you guys need to know you guys need to know that we are we are writers we are artists jamaicans we it's so it's um one of those things where i'm like jamaicans they're wordsmiths mm-hmm. they uh, the the um the way that jamaicans tell stories it's no one else does it the same way from right. like 
my uh, listen I could get my grandfather on the phone right now and he could tell some stories and you'd be like wait is he like a speaker you're like no he just that's what he does um (laughs) no but thank you again Marlon this has been fantastic and thank you to our listeners thank you for if this is your first time thank you for listening please go back and listen to our other episodes we have some great ones and that I know you'll love and if you're a long-time listener thank you for coming back and we really appreciate and love you and to everyone have a great and beautiful rest of your day thank you so much thank you for listening to the skylight books podcast series please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on twitter and instagram also don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations you can find us on podbean itunes and spotify Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.